to our text this morning. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Father, we ask that you would move this morning, Father, as we have asked so many times, Father, we declare that you reign as we have sung, and Lord, may you uh, work through the words that are studied this morning, Father, may you open our eyes to your, uh, to your word, to the truth, Father, that we may understand what you have for us, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, <coughs> how's it going with the creed? Have you memorized it yet? One of these, one of these weeks, we're not going to put it up, or maybe we'll put a slide out of order just to see how everybody everybody does, but um, as we, we've continued to work through um, the creed, you know, as a matter of fact, as we kind of work through it, I almost feel like it's like the 12 days of Christmas as we kind of recite it, right? Because we're going to actually have 12 sermons on this. We talked about God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and what that means about how God is the, the Father. He's so powerful, but he's also so personal. We talked about Jesus, the only Son of God, why that matters, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King. We talked about how he's the God-man, right? 100% God, 100% man. We talked about Pontius Pilate and what it means that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. We looked at the phrase last week, he descended to hell, and I'm not even going to begin to explain that to you today. If you're interested, listen to last week's podcast. And then we talked about what it means that Jesus rose again from the dead. And today we're going to look at the ascension and why it's important that he ascended into heaven and that he sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. Acts chapter 1, would you turn there with me this morning if you brought your Bibles with you? If you didn't, you can follow up on the screen or pull the Bible out of the pew. We're going to read the first 11 verses in the book of Acts. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up with a cloud, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from, in, <coughs> from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus had now been resurrected for 40 days. 40 is a very significant number in the Bible, and that's a, a fun study to do in and of itself. But he'd been resurrected for 40 days, and, and we talked last week about how he engaged with so many people following the resurrection, right? That the resurrection isn't something that we just talk about, or, or we say, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. God gives us proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus didn't just see one person or two people, but hundreds of people testified that Jesus was alive again. And here, with the apostles, Jesus ascends into heaven. Now, it's, it's hard to even imagine what that would have looked like. And, and this was, what we looked at was just one um, movie-type thought of something of what it might have looked like. But if you go and, and look on YouTube or, or other things or other movies that have been made about it, you see all these different perspectives of what the ascension might have truly looked like. We know that Jesus was lifted up into heaven. You know, it, it kind of, to me, as I think of what the apostles must have been thinking standing there, you know, you ever seen the old Superman movies, right, where Superman just goes up into heaven or up into the sky and everyone's just kind of looking, except this would have been ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times more magnificent. So why is the ascension so important? Jesus had to leave for the Holy Spirit to come in the way he was going to come. <laughs> See, Jesus completed his mission here. He had come to, to teach and to make the truth known, but also to die and pay the penalty as our substitutionary sacrifice for sins and come back to life, and that was done. He had completed what he had come for. And now it was time for him to go back into glory and for the Holy Spirit to come. John 14, 25, and 26 says this. Uh, I'm actually missing part of the verse. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things to your remembrance that I have said to you. Let's clarify for a moment why this is such a huge deal in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not working in the same way that he is in the New Testament. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't working, but the Holy Spirit was not indwelling every person who followed God in the Old Testament. The Israelites did not necessarily have the Holy Spirit working in their lives. We see certain people at certain times where the Holy Spirit would indwell them. Samson is an example. And we could go through different ones who, or the, the 70 elders, right, in the book of Numbers. But, but Samson is an example with certain times when the Holy Spirit would come and it would fill him and then it would leave. But when Jesus ascended, it was soon to be time for the Holy Spirit to come and indwell the heart of every believer. But why is this important? Why does this matter? 
We're going to look at the Holy Spirit in a couple of weeks. And so I, I don't want to get into the person of the Holy Spirit and, and talk about all that the Holy Spirit does. But what, it's, what it shows us and what it reminds us of is that we are all a work in progress. See, the Holy Spirit descending means that we are not yet complete. We still have the old nature, right, as Paul writes about and talks about rearing his ugly head. I, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I should do. And the Holy Spirit is, is there to remind us of what we should do, part of our progressive sanctification, this, this journey that we're on becoming more like Christ in the way that we live our lives. See, we're never going to be perfect here, right? Um, newsflash, if you didn't know that, right? We're never going to be perfect here. Right? And my wife could come up and she could tell you all of the different ways that I'm not perfect, as I'm sure your spouses or, or your brothers or sisters or your parents or your kids could come up and tell all the ways that you're not perfect too, because we are imperfect people who didn't deserve to be saved, but God saved us anyway. And as Jesus ascends, it's soon going to be the time for the Spirit of God to descend and indwell the hearts of believers. What it reminds us is that in our journeys of life, you and I are never going to be perfect. But we're going to continue to work that way. In a way, that should make us kind of feel good, shouldn't it? To know that we're not going to be perfect here. And we're going to make mistakes here. And God knows that. And he loves us anyways. And then we get to this part. So Jesus ascends into heaven. Soon the Holy Spirit will descend and fill the hearts of believers. But we get to this phrase, sitting at the right hand of the Father Almighty. Now we talked about God as the Father Almighty back in week one. So we're not going to really deal with that today. But we're going to look at what does it mean that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father Almighty. William MacDonald, he's a commentator I love to use. He says this, The Lord Jesus Christ not only arose from the dead, but he ascended to heaven from where he had originally come. He is today not as an invisible, intangible spirit being, but as a living man in a glorified body of flesh and bones. In that body, he bears eternally the wound he received at Calvary, eloquent and everlasting tokens of his love for us. But being at the right hand of the Father gives us a couple of meanings. There are certain things that we see in Scripture that, that's important that Jesus is, why it's important that Jesus is sitting there. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. He intercedes on our behalf. Romans 8, 34, who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is interceding on our behalf to the Father. Why does he have to do that? Because there is someone who is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's give an example of this. Luke 22, Jesus is speaking and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And in this particular passage, we see that Satan wanted to affect the faith of the disciples. Now, it's not long after this where the disciples kind of all 
vanish, right? We had talked about that, but, but um, most come back. The word in Greek that's used here when it, when it says Satan, that, uh, Satan demanded to have you is actually a plural word that's used. So Satan demanded to have the disciples. Satan wanted you. He wanted to take you and he wanted to sift you like wheat because he wanted to tear your faith apart. He wanted you to fall apart. You remember the story of Job and how Satan comes before God because he wants to really tear Job's faith apart. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We are reminded of the realness of Satan and of spiritual warfare. It's a real thing, guys. It's not something that we just talk about or we, or we just say, yeah, you know, there's a battle going on. You and I are involved in this spiritual battle every single day of our lives. And, and, and you know, to, to be completely truthful, Satan wants to see the faith of the followers of Jesus Christ fail, dissipate. He wants to see you raise your fist to heaven and say, why in the world, God, would you ever do this to me? He wants to see you run away from the word of God. See, Satan isn't really concerned about our health and our finances. He's concerned about destroying your faith. And if he does that through finances or health, then he does. But the most, the, the, what he is primarily concerned about is destroying your faith or tearing your faith apart. You know, last night we had an awesome opportunity to watch uh, Kingdom Men Rising. It was a great movie. If any of you missed the men's movie night last night, um, but want to watch the movie, you know, let me know and we can get you a copy um, so that you're able to watch it at home. Or if you have Amazon Prime, right, you can actually stream it. It's free right now and so you can take advantage of that. But um, one of the things that was talked about last night was the importance of faith. The importance of faith of staying in the word, of standing strong in your faith. And there was testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of, of brothers who have had different struggles in life, who have failed in different areas of life as we all fail, yet they either came back to the faith or through their struggle they remained steadfast in the faith. See, Satan wants to see us fail, but, but here's the cool thing is that we have someone who is interceding on our behalf. Jesus, the high priest, the one who understands what we're going through, is interceding at the right hand of God the Father. The second thing that this means of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God is this is a place of power. Sitting at the right hand is, is always a place of the highest honor. But not only that, it's, it's, it's power and dominion. No, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look outside or, or click on news websites or turn on the TV and see how much evil exists in this world. It can actually become overwhelming. I remember uh, uh, I used to like different news organizations on Facebook so that I would get notifications kind of throughout my day. And man, it was just one abuse after another, one this after another, one that after another, anger, divisiveness again and again and again. And I, as I would look through, I'd be like, oh, this is sad, this is depressing, this is discouraging. And so I deleted all of those things because 
I didn't really, not that I don't want to know what's going on in the world, because I do, I do, and I do stay aware. But there comes a point where we can become overwhelmed and consumed with the evil in the world. And again, I think that is one of Satan's tactics. Between terrorism, the promotion of ce- and celebration of evil agendas, um, I think that evil runs rampant even more in this world of instant notification and updates. Um, we find out things right away, whether they're true or not. First Peter 3.22 says this. <coughs> Referring to Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. See, Jesus sits at the right hand of God, associated with the most power, and all of the spiritual beings, the angels, authorities, and powers, are all subject to Jesus. They are all under Jesus. He is the most powerful. And as we look at this world that's filled with evil, we can say that despite the evil, our God is greater. So this would have been something, actually, in 1 Peter, that would have been um, written as an encouragement to the believers that um, this letter would have been written to, it would have been a reminder to them to remember that as believers, um, we don't deserve to be treated any better than Jesus was treated. We don't think about it like that. um, But we don't deserve to be treated any better than Jesus was treated. Because while we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him one day. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, in this life, and and you guys know this, right? I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm I'm just talking about what the scripture says is that there are tough times in this life, man. There are days when, when you wish you didn't get the news that you got, when you didn't receive the phone call that you got, that you didn't turn on the TV and see what people are saying. There are days maybe you wish you didn't go to work and had that really tough conversation which went nowhere. But the reality is that as we go through different things in life, the sufferings that we go through are nothing compared to what the glory is going to be like one day. Your suffering and my suffering are a little different. Everybody's story is a little different. Even even people that uh, go through similar situations always have a little bit of a different bend to them, a different background, a a different perspective. But but the reality of it is this, that as believers, we can all hold on to the truth, the truth that one day, through all of the sufferings, through all of the pain, through all of the disappointment, all of those sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that we will share in one day. You and me together, you know, we, we... I hope you heard me mention a lot and say that we're a family, right? This idea of being a family, we are. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you surrendered your life to the Lord, one day we're going to share in this glory together, praising our God. Ephesians 1, 20 and 23 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is 
his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, while Christ has been given all authority and dominion, he does not completely exercise it yet. So what I'm trying to say is that men still deny Jesus, still reject Jesus, still lift their fists at Jesus. But one day, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no more denying. There will be no more excuses. Because every tongue will confess. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says this, and I, and I think this is a, a great way to, to come to a conclusion this morning, and we're not coming to a conclusion, but this would be a great way if we were, right? I'm just trying to make sure you're still with me this morning. If then you have been raised with Christ, which you have been, it's, it could also be translated, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Where is Christ seated at the right hand of God? And here's what it said. Set your mind. This speaks of an intentionality as believers. This is being very particular. This isn't something that we just do by ourselves without thinking. Set your mind. Think of daylight savings is coming up soon, right? Right? And now everything's automated. And how many of you do not have an automated clock and have to set your clocks back in daylight savings? No. Really? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Now, is that your car or is that a clock in home? Is a clock in home? All right. The microwave, that's right. Okay, I guess they're always, that's right. That's right, okay. Oven, yeah, that's another good one, yeah. Yeah, your microwave and your, your oven, we have a clock. Uh, but usually for a couple months, it stays at the same time. <laughs> and we just kind of learn, you know, it's, it's not actually six, it's five. Um, <laughs> and then one day I come home and it's changed, and it's because Sarah changed it. So, um. <laughs> But we have to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul writes about this when he says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He also writes about this when he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is, and we can go on and on and on, he says, think about such things. See, the battle oftentimes in our lives is the way that our minds work, whether or not we are truly surrendering to the Spirit and thinking and setting and fixing our mind on things that are of God. And here we are told as believers to set your mind on things that are of God. When the sufferings come in life, when the difficulties come in life, when the worries come in life, the overwhelmingness comes in the life, set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated. Remember that ultimately God is in control. As believers, we're called to look at things from a kingdom perspective. Set your mind, be intentional on it. Now, we're closing. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he had some final words to say to his apostles. Final words are very important. If you had one last thing to say to the person that you love, what would it be? 
It's not going to be, how about them eagles? It's not going to be, man, it's nice it didn't snow outside today. Final words are so important. I remember um, listening to a, a pastor one time when we were in Bolivia. Sarah and I was talking about, um, had lost one of his family members and was sharing how uh, the final conversation that he had with this family member was so rich. It was so full of um, spiritual things and focused on what truly mattered, even though they didn't know that was going to be their last conversation. Um, but if you had final words to say, what would it be? Jesus had final words to say in Matthew 28. And here's what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Leave at the right hand of God. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If these were his last words, they must be pretty important. If these were the words that he had given, we talk about it as the Great Commission before he ascended into heaven. If these were some of his final words, then it must be important. This wasn't just given to the apostles. It wasn't just given to missionaries or pastors. It's to us as the body of Christ, as the family of Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations. That includes Kirkwood and Lancaster and Quarryville and Little Britain and Nottingham and Oxford and Philadelphia. It includes Pennsylvania in Alaska, it includes Hawaii, and South America, and Asia, go into all the world. Are you willing to do that? To be a witness for Jesus Christ where you are today? Because you're going to go somewhere after this. Maybe you're going to go home. Maybe you're going to go to the store. How many of you are going out to eat today? Anybody going out to eat today? Come on. You know it's true. Thanks, Wilmer. <laughs> Thanks, Wilmer be a witness to the waiter or waitress. Simplify it down to real life. You're, you have an opportunity to witness to people at the grocery store. Go into all the world and make disciples. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for Oh, the opportunity we have to study your word, to, to dig into your word. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, for not leaving us alone. We thank you for reminding us that we are a work in progress, but one day we will be a completed work. We will be restored. We will be a new creation. One day we will receive our new bodies. There will be no more sin, no more temptation, no more struggle. Lord, we long for those days, but we ask you to help us to remain faithful while we're here. Lord, may we be your witnesses in every area of life. In Jesus' name. Let your sins we close in worship together.